Well, good afternoon. I hope you've had a blessed Sabbath so far. I hope it's been, uh, you know, rich. Hope it's been a blessing. Hope some of you had a chance to read the Church of Ephesus and look at some of these texts for yourself that we looked at this morning. Uh, we're going to be kind of continuing our train of thought as we're going to um, not go through. I'm just going to remind you what we talked about this morning, and then we're going to dive into our last portion of some practical lessons or thoughts to take from the church of Ephesus. And again, you can do this with any of the churches. Um, in fact, the seven churches are tech, actually my personal favorite portion of the book of Revelation. I love reading them over and over and just thinking about them and meditating on them, uh, making applications with them. I mean, they're all powerful. They're all life-changing. Um, so I recommend studying the seven churches, you know, and, and, and you know, exegetically and understanding what they mean what their interpretation is, but then making application and seeing how this is relevant to you in your particular context today. That being said, I'm going to say one more prayer because for myself, uh, mostly for divine energy at this time, um, as we dive into our last subject together. Father, bless us now as we open the word. Speak, I pray, uh, as I pray in agreement with the prayer that was just offered before. Um, I pray for divine mental energy and capacity and ability to share these thoughts that I you've given me, I believe, with my friends who are listening today. So bless us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right. So this morning, we talked about three concepts that I took for me personally from the, the Church of Ephesus, and that was that it's possible to be right but lost, busy but lost, and present but lost. Right as in biblically and theologically correct, that you have the right answers, that you win the you win the debates. Um, however, it is possible to win the debates and have all the right answers and to to be lost. In fact, a case study in Testimonies Volume One. I, I totally blanked and should have shared this earlier, but Moses Hole um, is an interesting case study, and you can re look him up in Testimonies to the Church Volume One. Uh, read everything there is on Moses Hole. There's a whole section on him, and you'll see what I mean. It is a powerful example of someone who is extremely right, um, one of our best apologists in a particular area at one point in the 1800s, um, and yet was lost. Uh, we talk about being busy but lost. You know, Satan's ultimate goal, I believe, is just to make us busy people. We're so busy today. It's so, it's so hard, it seems, to find time for family, let alone to find time for God, and to see how Satan has done a good number on making us so busy that it's as if we don't have time for devotions or time for prayer or time for meditation. And, you know, we talked about this concept that you could even be busy doing good things. And I, I should have probably emphasized that even more so. Satan isn't trying to make you bad, just busy. Um, he doesn't want to make you necessarily evil or wicked. He just needs to keep you from being connected with Christ. And your destiny is one and the same as those we're also not connected with Christ. And so we saw that he wants us to be busy, even doing good things, ministry, outreach, feeding the homeless, whatever it is, um, very busy, however, um, still lost. And we talk about present but lost, being in the right geographic location, being in the right church, you know, uh, being in the remnant church itself. You know, the Jews had this challenge. They believed because they were Abraham's children, they were guaranteed heaven. And Jesus made it clear that that was not the case. Um, that leaves in John chapter eight. And this was not the case. This was not the situation um, that just because they're Abraham's children did not guarantee uh, that they were automatic into the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we can have the same challenge today. I believe that we can believe 
that because we are part of the right, the remnant church of Bible prophecy, uh, because we worship on the correct day, things like this of this nature, I don't think we would outright say it that way, but I think by actions and likelihood, we might live it this way, um, thinking that because we're in the right place at the right time, that we're a shoe in, but we saw that that was in fact not the case. And in fact, we saw in Proverbs uh, chapter 5, 11 through 14, a very solemn passage of people who, when they're consumed and destroyed, um, you know, they, 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 they lament that this, they were pretty much entire, almost entirely destroyed while being in the congregation, um, amidst the congregation. And so being in the church is no guarantee of being saved. And what was the conclusion? We need to all have our own first love experience. We all need to have a love for Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, an interpersonal daily connection with Jesus. Aside from this, you can be right, busy, and present all simultaneously, but without Jesus, you're almost saved, but wholly lost at that point. And so we saw, and I brought it back to Christ and, and our great desperate need that we have for Jesus. Uh, this afternoon, I just want to share a brief thought with you, um, continuing through the Church of Ephesus, and that is having hate, but being saved. See, it's kind of interesting. We would think, wait, but being present, uh, being busy, uh, being right, that these are shoe-ins for people that are saved. Well, I mean, there are people who died during the Dark Ages that didn't even have the scriptures that I believe will be in the kingdom of heaven. They probably weren't all theologically correct. They were not right, maybe not in the right place, you know. Um, and so, because it, it comes down to Jesus. But having hate and but being saved, you know, it's kind of a twist here. You would expect it to be the opposite. So let's dive in and see what is what's going on here. What's going on here? Uh, the Bible says here uh, in uh, Revelation chapter two, which is where we find the Church of Ephesus. We mostly looked at verses one through three this morning, and uh, now we're looking at verse five and six. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Uh, verse six, but this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And so here, you know, God is giving some good counsel. And again, there's so much in the text that I mean we can have multiple Sabbaths just on the church of Ephesus. I mean, just on the word remember, we can do a whole sermon, the power of what it means to keep afresh in our mind the things of God. Um, so they're giving counsel in, in verse five on how to find their first love if they've left it. And so I will uh, chase that for a moment for anyone who's listening that may be in that situation because uh, it's just too there to not address it. And the Bible says, remember therefore from where you are fallen, repent and do the first works. And it's interesting because, you know, this has given us counsel. If you're realized today, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've left my first love. I was once on fire for the Lord. I once loved Jesus. He was once my best friend. He was once someone who I couldn't go to sleep at night without talking to. And I couldn't wake up and go to work without spending time with. I mean, he was my first, my best, my last, my everything. But that is not the case anymore. The counsel here is, well, remember from where you fell. Remember and allow your mind to go back to that place in time, that point in experience before, you know, you fell. Kind of like that great hymn, right? Back to when I once first saw the light. And then it says, do the first works. Do the first works. You know, it's interesting. There was a time in my personal experience uh, when I was a younger Christian. And I, you know, I was struggling, going through a difficult transitionary phase 
of kind of leaving this high experience of everything's new to now Christianity is like the norm Christianity. I guess it's, I don't know, I'm not married, but maybe it's like being married. From what I hear is, you know, when you're married, it's like this first year, second year, it's like, wow, this is new, this is different, this is crazy. Um, but then eventually life is normal. You know, this, it becomes routine. Like this is how we live life. And, you know, eventually my Christianity hit that point of, hey, you know, you're not really just learning everything new anymore. And it's more about just a consistent walk with the Lord in a relationship with God through the daily monotonous life that you kind of live. And, you know, it was just kind of like, how do I be a Christian day to day without all just the new and the excitement and the bells and the whistles? And, you know, I fell in love with prophecy. Like I just fell in love with talking about with God about prophecy, studying prophecy and you know, so when I was going through this uh, phase of mine, um, this struggle, as it were, you know, I, I read this text and I actually thought to myself, when was the time in my experience when I just fell in love with Jesus? And I was like, man, it was when I was studying prophecy and reading the great controversy. So I did that and it just really rekindled my flame. And I think it's a very practical lesson that we can take away, right? So if, if you are in that situation, know that just because you left your first love, it's not like it's unattainable anymore. In fact, Jesus desperately wants you to find your first love, right? Just allow your mind to go back to remember from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works. Um, and again, a whole study can be done on that text in of itself. Um, so I'm going to leave that, you know, just as food for thought and continue to our main, back to our main point, verse six. You know, uh, so with all the rebuke that God has now given to the church, um, he then gives an admonition, you know, uh, but this you do have. You you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So here we see something kind of rare in scripture, not something very common in scripture, and that's God hates something. He says, there are these deeds of the Nicolaitans. You hate them, and I hate them. And to me, it's not very common to see in scripture, God actually say, I hate anything, you know, X, Y, or Z. Or Z. So What's going on here in the text? Is it a good thing to hate? Is it okay to hate? Is it appropriate to hate? I mean, as Christians, do we go around asking God, Lord, give me hatred. I want hatred today. Um, we want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus, right? Um, yet Jesus says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So what is, what's going on here? Are we supposed to hate? What kind of hate is this? What's happening in this church? And how can I experience whatever it is God wants for me personally to take away from the text? Well, Amos 5 gives us some insight into that, this idea. Okay, so Amos 5 verse 14 and 15 tells us, Seek good and not evil, right, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. Hate the evil, love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. And it may be that the Lord of God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Okay, so we see here something kind of interesting in the text, right? Here it's telling us in verse 15 of Amos, hate evil and love good. So question, is it good to hate? I guess another way of asking that question is, is it biblical for Christians to hate? Are we supposed to hate? Um, according to Amos 5, 14, 15, it seems that the answer is yes. Uh, we are supposed to hate. God is, you know, the prophet here, uh, God through the prophet is making a, a kind of an appeal, an admonition, seek good and not evil, right? And then he goes on to say, 
hate evil and love good. And this is kind of an interesting concept because, you know, it's one thing to not like evil. It's one thing to kind of shy away from evil. It's another thing to not do evil when others are looking because we're worried about what people might think about us. It's an entirely different thing to actually hate evil. I mean, do you just go and do stuff that you hate? Like, did you wake up today and think, man, well, it's Sabbath, but like, you know, tomorrow, are you going to wake up tomorrow and think to yourself, man, I really, really, really hate 10 hour road trips. Are you going to call up a friend all of a sudden? Like, Hey, you know what? I just want to do a 10 hour road trip because I really hate it. And I feel like that's how I should spend my day today. I mean, do we typically go and seek out things that we hate? Well, the answer is no. Um, and so we're supposed to hate evil, not just not put up with it, but hate it. In fact, Hebrews 1.9, describing Jesus, uh, kind of a powerful concept, uh, especially in its relation to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how he had more of the Holy Spirit than those he was interacting with. It's kind of an interesting uh, aspect in John. Um, but notice what it says here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness. Speaking of Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, or because of this, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. In other words, he received a deeper, richer portion of the Holy Spirit, this oil of gladness, this anointing oil, uh, more than others. And what was it? It was in proportion to something. Well, what was it in proportion to? His love for righteousness and his hatred for iniquity. And it's so interesting because Jesus completely loved righteousness. It wasn't like he enjoyed righteousness. He was okay with righteousness. Like he loved righteousness. Like Jesus loved righteousness. And it's not like he was like just neutral with evil or kind of neutral with sin, kind of okay with just not doing it often or, you know, not doing certain things publicly um, not like he kind of didn't like it. No, no, no. He hated sin. He hated iniquity. So Jesus was complete in his mind. He had like these complete polar paradigms of, I love righteousness 100% emphatically. I'm madly in love with God. And I hate sin. Completely, unequivocally, I hate it. I despise it. I want nothing to do with it. And this is the mind of Jesus, right? And this is how we're supposed to be, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Philippians. And so uh, 2, 5, I believe. And so here, this idea of hating is, it's biblical. Christians, we're supposed to have hatred. We don't think of it that way, but we're supposed to, to actually hate something. But what do we hate? We're supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to hate sin. Um, and in contrast, love righteousness there's a love desire and there's a hate uh, that both need to be experienced sounds simple right easy so all of you right now just choose just decide hate evil just right now hate it and love righteousness just love it right i mean if only it was that simple i mean it it is that simple but why does it seem not so simple what is it 
that seems to make this process challenging. Why is it like Romans 7, many of us do what we do not want to do, but do not uh, do what we want to do, right? The, the evil that you want to stop, you still do it. And the good that you want to start doing, you don't do it. Why is it that we seem to sometimes have this experience as human beings? Well, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Um, the reality is we don't give ourselves, I don't want to say it that way. Um, we don't recognize, we often don't recognize how easily self-deceived we can be. Uh, and I'm speaking from experience. In fact, I'm going to share some stories in a moment because, again, um, I think stories help you. I, it's, I'm willing to be a little transparent with my life. Stories, I think, are just helpful um, to, to kind of see something uh, practically, kind of how, oh, yeah, that does relate to me in this way because we see it in the story. But I don't think we, we really truly recognize how easily it is for this text to become reality. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, right? Who can know it? This idea that um, we, we deceive ourselves, we trick ourselves. Um, in fact, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21 um, says, I mean, kind of tells us how far this self-deception can go. Woe unto them that, that call evil good and good evil. It reminds me of, of, of the story of Eve and the tree. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, you had Eve and the serpent, you know, said, you know, did God really say uh, that, you know, you, you, you can't eat of every tree. And, you know, Eve said, oh, you know, he said we can't eat it or touch it because the day that we do it, that's the day that we die. And so you have this very interesting conversation between the serpent and between Eve. And in the first three verses of Genesis chapter three, what we see with Eve is she recognizes this food is dangerous. This food will kill you. This food is not something that you should eat. And then verses four or five, you have Satan's manipulation of God's character taking place. And then verse six, and in verse six, Eve says that she beheld the tree, that it was good for food, um, that it was desirable to make one wise. And she, we see that she had a complete paradigm shift. She, she went from a point of saying that this food is death. To, to pretty much saying this food is life. Uh, this is good for food. This is a good source for my life. Yet just a few verses prior to that, she said, if you eat it, you will die. And she, I believe, felt to this concept. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. Um, that put bitter for sweet sweet for bitter. It's using these contrasts, right? Uh, and, and so in other words, what's the woe? What's the caution? What's the, the, the danger? Is that we call something that is evil good. That something that is sinful, we say it is not sinful, right? We Something that is full of darkness, we behold it and say, well, I think this is full of light. And Isaiah is warning and saying, hey, cautious, be careful. Woe to those who fall to this trap. 
And you might be thinking, well, that can't happen to me. Read verse 21. Woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudence in their own sight. I mean, the moment you say, well, that can never happen to me, you almost immediately qualify yourself to be the person that it happens to, right? And so, you know, the, and, and, and this is the caution, you know, sometimes we can try to rationalize, like kind of like what Eve did in Genesis chapter three with Satan and try to rationalize the word of God and to, to think it through in such a way that we end up twisting it and calling good evil and evil good. And why do we do this as humans? Well, because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. This is kind of how the heart is um, and is not naturally subject to the law of God or the word of God. And so we have this sinful nature that really is a constant battle. Uh, it's a constant warfare that takes place. And because this tendency is there, we need to be vigilant. We need to be aware and kind of cautious, as it were, uh, that this is, in fact, uh, a living reality. Um, slippery slope. Okay, so this idea of self-deception. So there was a time in my experience when I was gaining victory over particular media content that I just knew was not heaven ordained. This was not good for my brain. This wasn't good for me even as a person, um, that this was certain media content that I needed to have victory over. And so God, by God's grace, gave me victory over this media content as a young Christian. So I was very thankful. I was very encouraged and, and admonished and strengthened. And I was like, yes, praise God, right? So, okay, fast forward, you know, a few years, you know, you're, you're doing good. You, you haven't fallen in, in a particular area. And all of a sudden, your guards start to do this, right? And I'm on YouTube, which is, I think, one of the greatest blessings. It's saved me on my pre-med journey too many times, um, yet also one of the greatest curses. And so I'm sitting here on YouTube and beholding some YouTube content. And I'm not sure how this came up in on the side. If you're not familiar with it, you know, this is how it works. If you are, you understand that it kind of gives you suggestions and things so possibly you might be interested in. Well, it popped something up and it was some music because I, I like to listen to instrumental music while studying and I can listen to sometimes some, you know, a little bit more of the intense instrumental music, you know, some violins just going at it and stuff like that. So a particular uh, genre of instrumental music popped up and on that, in that video that I was now watching because it was suggested to me, there was a particular song that related to this media content that I had gained victory over. And I thought to myself, ooh, wow, um, uh, that's interesting. That's a good song. I like that song. And then I started remembering the show, a little, uh, this you know, media content. And I was like, okay, man, I don't, mm. I was like, you know what? You've, you're a strong Christian now, Baca. Like, think about it. You're a strong Christian now. You, victory for a couple of years. You can listen to this music. Like, come on now. How is, how is an instrumental song gonna mess you up that bad so i listened to this music <clears throat> which then feeds more recommendations because now you listen to this music so they're like oh you like these videos and i start watching these videos these videos and next thing you know there is kind of a uh, a music video to the song now there's clips of the media with the music and i'm watching the clips and the music now as i'm you know, studying and doing my thing and, you know, working on what I'm working on. And 
it was interesting because what eventually happened uh, uh, slowly but surely I came to a point when I like binge watched this whole thing all over again and I remember thinking to myself afterwards like how in the world did that happen like how in the world did I come to this point when when I clearly had victory for two years over this and here I am in a binge watch mode like what actually occurred in my mind and as I walked through this process and thought it through I realized man it was truly a slippery slope I deceived myself I literally was like oh, no no this is good this is good this is good and at one point I'm sure in my thought process it wasn't good but in my mind I made it good I decided to call it good and at that point I was I, in that particular subject I was done for and obviously I repented and the Lord has been gracious in helping me uh and with victory you know I learned a valuable lesson from that slippery slopes that we need to be careful not to trick ourselves into calling things good that are really going to be truly slippery slopes for us, right? And you can't trick the Lord. He says in Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, um, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Uh, so we see here that you can't trick God. God knows. God knows very well what's going on. And um, your life and your experience. And you may trick yourself. You may say, no, this is good. But the Lord knows, and he has wonderful ways to enlighten us. Well, what can we do? Well, partly with distinguishing light and darkness is you just got to know the difference. Like, what is light and what is darkness? I mean, you can't call something light if you don't know what light is. So what brings the light? Psalm 119 um, tells us, the entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, right? Uh, you might also think of another beautiful text, right? Thy word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Isaiah 820, right? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So how do you know what is light or what is good? Um, it's the word of God. The word of God, the Bible must be that which guides our feet because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We will tell ourselves this is good and this is okay. And the word of God will say this is not good. This is not okay. And without this, it is very difficult at times to distinguish between the two because we just don't know. And that's, I mean, if you just don't know, you just don't, you don't know. And so Yes, we need to hate evil. Yes, the church of Ephesus hated the deeds of Nicolaitans, which was clearly evil deeds because God hated it and he hates evil and we're called to hate. And, you know, we're called to hate evil and to love good or to hate darkness and to love light. Um, but in order to do that, I need to be able to distinguish between the two because I can't trust my own thinking. I can't trust my, my natural thought process because my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and the moment I think that I'm beyond that, I just qualified myself to be the number one candidate to experience it. So even the feeling of confidence is no assurance that this cannot happen to you. We need to spend time daily in the word of God, allowing it to be the, lamp, the light to our feet, right? That lamp into our feet, the light to our path, that thing that can distinguish what is good and what is evil. 
And not only that, once we, as we spend time in the word of God and we see that, which is good, we see that, we see that, which is light. We see that, which is darkness. The Bible then says, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Um, you know, often it's very interesting how the more I interact and do evangelistic type work and interact with church members, I realize, and even I see myself through people, uh, this reality that we can know truth, we can believe truth, but we don't do truth because we deceived ourselves into thinking it was good enough just to know and to believe, but not to do. And here the Bible's even saying, don't deceive yourself. Like, don't allow that desperately wicked heart of yours to trick yourself into thinking that you don't need to be a doer of the word. Um, in fact, the admonition is clear, be doers and not hearers only. And so as we spend time in the word of God, as we study its sacred pages, as we commune with God, as we, as we get to know him more, and we start to discern through scripture, light and dark, good and evil. Um, see, at the end of the day, Eve should have known that it was evil. Why? The Lord had said it. And that the word of God was clear. Um, and, we, and she even acknowledged that that's what God said. She knew what he said. She believed that he said it. But she did not allow her actions to match up with what she knew and believed. And as a result, her fate was the same as someone who wouldn't even have known or believed. And so we see here this admonition to, hey, allow your actions to match up and with that which is good, which that which is light, you know, um, because if not, it will, your, your actions just won't match up with it. Genesis 3.15, back to our hatred concept as we're continuing, because God wants us again, hate the evil, love the good. When did this originate? Where did this come from? This actually goes all the way back to the fall, back in Genesis chapter 3. Notice God's promise. He says, I will put enmity. Enmity is an intense form of hatred. It's like hatred on steroids. It's not like I hate you. It's like I hate, despise, repulse, disdain squared you like that's it that's this love hate enmity is an intense form of hatred and it says here i will put enmity or intense hatred between you speaking to the serpent satan and the woman between your seed and her seed he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel this was a promise that god 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 gave us uh, because when we look at this concept of evil and good, light and darkness, love the light, hate the darkness, don't call good evil and evil good, develop a, a, a sense, develop through the scriptures the ability to discern between good and evil. But then how do we then hate and love? Like, where does that come from? Well, the promise is right here. God says, I will put enmity. Like, this is a thing that God can accomplish because here's the reality. And this is hard to, 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 to verbally say sometimes. I believe it's hard to acknowledge. But when we can come to this point of recognition, I believe God can really help us. You love sin. We love sin. How do I know that? Because we do it. If we didn't love it, we wouldn't so easily do it. Now, I'm not saying that we love the consequences of sin. You might hate that you do something, but you might hate it because 
you get caught or you might hate it because it has a physical or a mental negative effect on you. You know, I like to give an example because I used to weigh, you know, close to 400 pounds at one point in my experience. You know, there was a point in my life when I was overweight that I really wanted to be skinny um, to a degree. Like I was like, man, like I would like to lose weight and, you know, I'd like to get in shape and I would like to, to, to do these, these things. Um, however, I loved food. I especially love donuts to this day. I love a good donut. Um, and I just love donuts. And so the thing was, did I want to be healthier and thinner? And of course I did, right? Who, who, who doesn't? Most people do, even that are thin and healthy, want to be thinner and healthier. It's kind of a human natural thing, at least for us in our culture here. Um, but the reality was, though I kind of wanted that, I really liked donuts and I couldn't stop eating donuts. And so what ended up happening was I did not gain the thing I kind of wanted because there was something I really loved um, that was kind of in the way. There was something I really loved that was kind of in the way. And so, you know, the first step is being able to recognize, I believe this, you know, like through the word of God, having an experience and a developed mind to be able to discern between light and darkness, good and evil. Um, and, you know, uh, I like the Hebrews 514 Rotherham edition. Um, kind of, you know, addressing this maturity of mind aspect. Uh, but to such as are mature, pertaineth the strong food. To them who, by reason of habit, have their organs of perception well trained for discriminating both good and evil. And so we see here, you know, through habit, through repetition of action, um, your organs, your body, your mind can be trained um, to discern between good and evil. And yes, this is something that God desires, that this is a process of character development, that as we spend time, right, because uh, it says here prior to, it's this relation to the word of God, you can read its context, uh, but to such as are mature pertains to strong food, right? Um, and, and, you know, this right here, the word of God, this is the meat that's intended for us to consume as Christians. And yes, this it, it, it allows us to develop by habits and through knowledge and through experience, the ability to discern, discriminate between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness. And with that, God gives the promise, you know, through the word, I will make clear that which is light and darkness, that which you should love and that which you should hate. Okay, God, that makes sense. Then he gives the promise, I will give you the hatred. I can accomplish this in you. Yes, through the word, I can reveal to you what you should love and what you should hate, what is good and what is evil. But I can also give you within you the ability to then love and hate. I'm going to skip this story for now. For the sake of time, we may come back to that. Um, how to hate what I once loved. How to hate what I once loved. I think this is a very important question to ask. Um, because as we're kind of working through this, are, should we hate? Yes, we should hate. What should we hate? Evil, sin. Like, we should hate this stuff. Um, why do we do these things? Well, clearly, we don't hate it. We actually kind of like it. Might even say we love it, um, if we're honest with ourselves. And that's why we keep doing it. Even though, hey, I don't like the consequences. You know, kind of like the donut example. I don't necessarily like being overweight. 
but I really like donuts, so I'm not going to stop smashing on donuts. That was me personally. That was personal experience. Um, so how then does this change occur? How can we learn to, to love what we once hated and to even hate what we once loved? Um, I think a story will help with this before we look at some biblical examples. Um, because loving is really important in the Bible. Loving is really important in scripture. Notice here in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, there is laid up for, uh, for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who love his appearing. Very interesting text. He promises a crown of life, not to those who believe his appearing, not to those who know he will appear, but to those who actually love his appearing. Do you love the second coming of Jesus? That's an interesting question. Do you love it so much that you're okay not finishing whatever medical school and then Jesus comes? Or do you love the idea of Jesus coming so much you're okay not getting married if Jesus were going to come? You know, next week, you're not married today. And you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait, you're coming when next week? Would you say, come Lord Jesus. I don't care if I don't finish school. I don't care if I don't build that house that I've been planning for, for eight years or whatever. I don't care if I don't finish X and Y, Z project. I don't care if I never get married. I don't care if I never have kids. I just want to see Jesus. It's a hard question. I think for many people that could be <clears throat> when the rubber meets the road, kind of a, a, a heavy question to contemplate because he's coming for those who love his appearing. James 1.12 says it this way, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who not believe him, not like him, not acknowledge his existence, but those who love him. The crown of life is for those who love Jesus. And again, this morning I said, hey, if you don't love Jesus, that's okay because you got to start somewhere. You can't just flip the switch and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know the guy. I'm madly in love with the guy. That can happen if you have a radical experience with him. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I also recognize that we shouldn't beat ourselves up because the, 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 the love is not completely there that we want to be there. Love grows over time. Love is a beautiful heavenly plant of heavenly origin that develops with time and experience. The more you spend time with God, the more you experience God, the more you commune with God, the more you fall in love with God. It's just such a beautiful concept. And I have experienced it. And, and, and I, I'm telling you, I didn't love him at first, but I love him today. And I love him so much. Like I said, I think the greatest test of, you know, and I did this to myself one day. It's like, how much do you love Jesus? Well, how much do you love to read the book that talks about him? Uh, if, I, if you really love it, then praise God, you really love him. Um, if not, then that's a good, serious, hard question to ask. You know, do I love him? And if not, that's okay. How can I spend time and have experiences with him, get to know him so that I can love him? that he can be my first, best, last, and always, that I can have this rich experience with him. Because naturally, we don't love God. Naturally, we don't love scripture. Naturally, we don't love 
his law. And so because of this, he wants us to, 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 as it were, he wants us to love him. So how is it that we can love God when we often love sin or, you know, love our old lifestyles, X, Y, Z? Um, a couple of stories I think will help. Uh, let's see. Yes, it is. All right. Oh, yeah. So this is just general concept um, story. Uh, I'm not going into specifics, but you know what it's like. If you've ever been in a relationship uh, and the relationship ends, you know, like, I mean, I've comforted enough people. I've counseled enough people. I've had my own personal life experiences where like whenever a relationship ends, guys are just like, you know, often, dude, my life, it's like never going to be the same, right? I'll never love again. It's like, are you serious? Like, I'll never love again. It's like, bro, why would you never love again? Because I love this person. I will never love again. It's impossible, right? And then 12 months later, two, uh, 24 months later, 36, whatever it is, you know, however many, you know, time, much time passes, crazy thing, they fall in love with someone still. And this is so interesting to me that it's possible to love something and then to develop another love or a greater love. For example, um, I used, oh man, like I love steak. I used to love steak with a passion. Um, in fact, every month at the end of the month, you know, the last you know, 30, 31st, whatever it was of the month, um, there was a particular restaurant, I'll leave unnamed. I used to go here in Southern California um, just to buy a really expensive steak. This was my treat. I always put the money aside throughout the month. And I always knew at the end of the month, I was going to go. And I look at that, my salad, my, my glands are like going crazy right now. Cause I'm thinking about it. Like my body knew, like that was the treat. Like that was the, the meal of the month. Anyway. So I would go to this location and, um, I would enjoy the steak, right? So now, you know, I'm studying the Bible. I find out about the health message. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like confronted with broccoli. And I'm like, dude, I never touch broccoli. I never touch carrots. I touch pineapple. I touch some spinach. You know, if it's on a pizza, I'll eat those type of things. Maybe some olives. Sure, if it's on a pizza, why not? If it's in a cheeseburger, onions, lettuce, tomato, pickles, I can get those down. Perfect. Um, you put a salad in front of me. Oh, man. I would just gag. I would is like this wasn't a good experience. I did not like vegetables, especially raw vegetables. Um, I like steak, medium rare steak. So that was the thing. Now here's what's crazy: is though I loved one thing more than the other at one given point in time, what eventually happened is as I learned to enjoy to eat and to like and you know, our first to put up with and then to like um, my vegetables and healthier food options, healthier food choices. Um, and as I began to gain my health back and started to have energy and lose weight and have a clear mind, ability to memorize, migraines were going down. You know, as I began to experience what the scriptures were talking about, one day it just clicked. And I was like, dude, I love, I love being healthier. I love, I love being healthier. Like, I never want to not be healthy again. Like, it just didn't make any sense to me why I would ever choose to not be healthy again. And it was easy at that point when, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to go grab a steak. Do you want to, you're going to go? And it's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, I'm okay not eating steak tonight. It's like, why not? Because in my mind, like something had changed and it didn't happen overnight. It, it took a progression of time. But what happened was I ended up falling in love with literally like being healthier, 
you know, and I could probably still be healthier. I think we can always be healthier. But the reality was like, I enjoyed being healthier, not just enjoyed it. I loved it to the point that I loved it so much that though my, my taste buds, I know some vegetarians are repulsed by meat, that the thought of meat is repulsive to them. My taste buds have not quite had that experience yet. Um, maybe your taste buds are more sanctified than mine, praise God. Uh, but, you know, like when I smell like carne asada, like I still get the gland action. Like it's something that my body's like, hey, that's a desirable thing. But the mind's like, no, 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 no. We don't do that. We don't even think about it. We're not even tempted by it. Why not? Because I love health. And that, that's what happens. You, you replace an old love with a greater love. So another example, you know, I used to love just cars. I love cars, love racing cars, love building cars, love rebuilding cars. Um, I just loved cars. Cars were life at one point for me. But as I became a Christian and as I began to study the Bible and as I got to know Jesus and as I fell in love with Jesus and as, you know, I still had money coming in and I had choices to make on how I was going to live my life. You know, it was crazy. Like, do you want to, people would say, do you want to go racing? Like, no, 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 I, it's okay. I don't want to go racing. It's like, oh, why not? Because I actually want to spend some time in the Bible tonight. It's like, what, what do you mean you want to spend time in the Bible tonight? Like, come on, after work, let's all go. We're going to go hit the streets. No, 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 no. I'm okay. I'm okay. Why are you okay? Like, what do you mean you're okay? No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. Like, I really, I just want to spend some extra time in the Bible tonight. And it's like, your whole life, I, I mean, you don't understand how much, when I say I love cars, I'm, I'm serious. Like, my car's name is Maboroshi in high school. Um, she was a 1987 Toyota Corolla. Man, I love this car. Uh, I used to, you know, put her up on these little ramps, get on my little crawler, little thing with wheels. I'd lay down on the ground. I'd roll under my car, and I'd just stare at the chassis. I'd just stare at the under engine. And I would just think, oh, you're so beautiful. Like, you're amazing. Like, I love my car. You know, my mom would bring dinner many times. She'd bring dinner outside and just slide it under the car. She knew that's where I was going to be, just hanging out under the car, staring at the car, you know, twisting some, rent. you know, uh, check the bulge, check some bushings, check this. Like, everything's still perfect. Like, you're always perfect, right? I love the car. When that car, when I, when that car was crashed and totaled, I cried. I don't cry too often. Man, I cried. It was like a relative died. I loved my car. I loved racing. Um, that was the goal, professional driver one day. But what happened is I fell in love with Jesus to the point where I love Jesus more than I love my car. I love Jesus more than I love the idea of racing to the point where often my days were pretty busy and I had choices to make. You know, you can go racing for three to four hours or you can spend time in the Bible. And I was just so, so captivated with, with the scriptures that you know, after some time, I eventually did have a car built and I could go racing again. I just never did it because not that I didn't like cars, not that I didn't think cars were amazing. I, I still thought they were amazing and cool and exciting and all these things, but I just loved Jesus more than I loved racing. Um, and life changed again. You know, I eventually became a missionary and just did mission work because I just loved Jesus and I love sharing him with others. Like to me, it's just who I am now. It's like, how can I not share Jesus with others because of how great he is? And so how can you learn to love something you don't love? Well, um, one, spend time with it. You know, spend time, you know, eat the broccoli example, right? I ate the broccoli. I don't like the broccoli, but I ate the broccoli. I learned to eat the broccoli. Um, 
you know, I didn't, I wasn't good at reading the Bible. I didn't even necessarily think it was the most exciting thing at first, but I read the Bible every day. I became consistent in my Bible reading. Um, these things that were these greater loves developed were because I gave these other things priority in my life to spend time um, and to gain experience. And then eventually to fall in love with these, 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 these ideas more so than the former. <clears throat> and ultimately, I believe that this is how it works with sin in general. How can you overcome sin? I'm going to tell you what I believe is the reality. We can only truly overcome sin in proportion to how much we love God. Because when we recognize the true nature of sin, our love for God really has a telling impact on how we relate to sin. Notice Hebrews 6.6. 6. It says here that if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open chain. It's this idea in Scripture that when you sin and when you fall short of his glory, you crucify to yourself Jesus Christ afresh and put him to an open chain. This thought is powerful because you realize quickly sin doesn't just impact you sin doesn't just impact those around you sin hurts jesus not just theoretically not just ideologically in some tangible way it's as if when we sin, we put the one who loved us through the cross all over again. This is why in the book Education, we are told that the cross is simply a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin has caused the heart of God since its inception. In other words, when you see the cross, it was not a one-day event where the heart of God was rent. And that, that type of pain that we see in Christ is a revelation. It's a picture to us of what sin does to him every single day. The, the level of pain that it causes the heart of God is seen in the cross. Um. I was I rec I, I learned this and I recognized this and um, <clears throat> I remember I was praying over something particular and I was pleading with God God give me victory over such and such in my life and it was as if that night when I was in my dorm room and I prayed this prayer that I threw flame on the fire of temptation. It's like my prayers made it worse. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, where you feel like your prayers actually make it worse. And I was like, I was praying and it seemed like temptation got stronger. And so I prayed again. I pleaded with God, you know, God help me with this such and such a thing. Um, I got up and I was continuing my studies, doing what I was supposed to be doing. And the temptation got even stronger. And I literally came to a point where I felt like I was standing on a precipice, on the edge of a cliff. And that kind of teeter-totter feel you get when you're about to fall is what I felt. And I was like, man, I, I know I'm going to fall. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you just knew 
it's yeah, I'm gonna do it. I just know I'm gonna do it. I shouldn't even resist anymore. What's the point? I'm gonna do it. I was at that point mentally. And I remember I was sitting there thinking and wrestling with this idea. And I was like, man, I'm gonna gonna do it. I was like, it's dumb, it's foolish. I don't want to do it, but apparently I do want to do it uh, because my mind is just so strongly going this particular direction. I got him and he's one last time. And I, I just told guys to God, if you don't help me, I said, please, like, I, if you don't do something, like, you know, you know, I'm going to mess up. I'm human. I'm weak. I'm fragile. I'm pleading with you. It's not, I'm, nothing's changing. And I'm just asking you if, you, if you can just please help me right now. And it was so powerful. I have this, and I know that I have a vivid imagination. If you don't have one, ask God to help you with it. He will, I know. Um, but man, I just had like this mental picture come straight to my mind of Jesus standing in my room with his back opened up and bleeding with a whip in his hand, handing it to me saying, I love you enough. I'll take this beating one more time. And this revelation hit me. This verse just in a very powerful sense became real. And I thought, wow, am I really choosing to like, because every time I sin, I crucify him afresh. It's like every time I sin, I'm saying, I would rather have personal indulgence in this sin and whip and beat Jesus, then to say no. And when I had this revelation that sin wasn't even about me, it's about Jesus. It, ch it changed. That night, that issue just melted away and it, 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 it just melted like butter. And I've prayed this often, God, don't ever let this vision leave my mind. Like, don't ever let this picture I have leave my mind let, that this is what sin does. And when I'm tempted to do, you know, when, and, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. By no means am I saying I'm perfect. But I'm saying this is a powerful, cool scripture that God blessed me with. That when I'm cognizant of the temptation that is in front of me, I call this text to mind. And I literally, in my mind, I just, I just allow myself to see Jesus standing there with the whip saying, hey, if you really want to indulge, you can crucify me one more time. Oh, it's easy to say no. It's easy to say, how could I? I love you. How could I do this to you? For the first time, when this, when this concept became real, I hated sin. Up until that point, I would say, honestly, I didn't like it. I knew I shouldn't do it. Still kind of dabbled every now and then with certain things I knew I probably shouldn't have been doing. But it was when this text became a living reality. For the very first time in my Christian experience, I hated sin. I hated sin with a passion. Because I knew what I did it. I knew what it did to the one who loved me enough to die for me. And I had come to know him so much. And again, if you're not at that point, totally okay. Just get to know him. Get to spend time with him. And you will love him. And when you love him and you see the pain that sin causes him and his willingness to take the beating for you, you you're going you're gonna to look at sin one day and say, how can I have ever have enjoyed this when the cost is such and such? It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense.
this is, I believe, how God puts enmity within us. It's through giving us deep revelations of how good and gracious and the consequences of sin on him, what that is in reality. Because that, to me, at least in my experience, has been the only thing to cause me to hate sin, like to actually hate sin, not just not like it, not just not try to do it, not just try to hide it, uh, but to actually, when it comes before me, to look at it with disgust and to say, I know that this once I used to love to indulge in this, how foolish was I? How stupid was this thing? I, I hate it, but I can only hate the sin because I love Jesus. And I hate, not selfishly, I don't hate sin selfishly because of what it does to me. I hate sin selflessly because of what it does to Jesus. Very dynamically different experience when you can learn to hate something not for what it does to you, but because of what it does to him or someone else. I know it seems like a small thing. Seems like a minor, minor things in our life. Sin, small, so small. The apple or the fruit was a small thing, but it had dramatic consequences, had worldwide consequences, and Satan knew it. Because of that fall, man has a sinful nature. We submitted our dominion of this earth and truly of ourselves over to Satan. We gave him us, and we are bound by nature in chains. This is why it seems so hard to stop doing the evil that, that we want to stop doing or to do the good, to start doing the good we want to do. Why it seems like we can't turn off those websites. Why it seems like we can't turn off those movies. Why we can't put those drink downs or why we can't put those sticks of smoke down. Why can't we, we put these things down sometimes? Why does it seem like we're a slave to sin? The reality, we are a slave to sin. We are entrapped in dark chains by a sinful nature that is bound. And this is why at times it can seem like a constant storm in our lives. Why it can seem like this darkness just encroaches upon our secret lives when no one's looking. But remember, nature teaches us powerful spiritual lessons. After the darkest storms in the natural world comes the brightest days. Like this is God's greatest desire. Like I have gone through some dark experiences in my past and it's only made the light shine forth even brighter in my present and for my future, right? Because God promises freedom. Jesus could give freedom. He can break the chains of iniquity that bind us. He can get us to come to the point when we behold these chains, that we hate these chains. We despise these chains. We despise these vices. We literally hate sin because of what it did to the only person that we can probably honestly slay cared more for us than he cared for himself. I can't say that I've ever met anyone who showed me that they cared more for me than themselves like Jesus did. I know this is just an artist's rendition, um, but these pictures are powerful to me personally because they're just living or, you know, pictorial reminders that he was literally willing to, to give, to take that on my, that my spot there. And every time I sin, I pierce him again. I smack him again in the face. And I say, prophesy, 
who smote thee. Every time I sin, I cause him to grind his back one more time up that cross, gasping for air. Every time I sin, I cause blood and water to flow from his side. Again, I don't know what it actually looks like. All he knows what the text says. I crucify him afresh. Even if it means I just put his heart through the same experience that killed him before, it's too much to bear. I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Lamb of God that came to take away your sin and the sins of this world? Do you love the one who cared more for you than he cared for himself? That he was willing to die the death you deserve so that you can live the life that he deserved. Do you love this man? That love will cause you to hate sin. It's the only thing I know for me personally that has actually helped me like the Ephesians to get one thing right, to hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, to hate wickedness, to hate sin. God calls us to hate, but to hate that which is dark and to hate that which is evil. We can't do it on our own. Jesus says, hey, I'll put enmity in your heart. I can do this work of transformation within you, but you got to, and again, we go back to this morning's presentation. He stands at the door and knocks. This can only happen as you spend time with me, as we have an experience together, as you know me, and as you learn to fall in love with me, this will radically change your life. And not only will it change your life in the here, but it will prepare you to be that person who loves his appearing. See, I'm a pre-med right now. I'm on the cusp. Now my goal is hopefully to apply to medical school next year. But you know what? If Christ came next year, I'd much rather him come than to be a physician. Because I cannot wait to see my best friend. I cannot wait to see this man who I love so much to look into his eyes and to just say thank you. Thank you for loving and helping someone like me to throw my feet at his, my crown at his feet and just to be there on that day when he comes to take me to be with him, to look at this world and say, man, all those things, all those sins, all those vices, I'm really glad I learned to hate those things and to leave those things behind. Wherever you're sitting, I want you to think to yourself, is that the experience that you want? Do you want to have the experience of learning to hate the evil and to loving the good. It comes through spending time in the word. It comes through first being able to discern between good and evil, which is outlined in scripture, and then allowing through acknowledging of God's goodness and his character to implant a hatred of sin within you so that you can come to the point when you look at it and say, man, I actually really hate this stuff. And man, I really love Jesus. Father in heaven, Thank you for the chance to study. I know this was a brief study. I know it was probably a unique study, not something we think of when we think of the church of Ephesus. A call to hate, a call to have enmity, a call to despise something, Lord, but to despise that which is evil, to despise that which honestly so often and so sadly we find satisfying and momentarily enjoyful, as it were, the, the passing pleasures of sin, Lord. Um, Forgive us, please. Earnestly we pray. Forgive us, Lord. 
for loving sin. But thank you for being understanding that Satan has so entrapped us in these chains of our sinful nature that you're willing to work with us, that you're willing to take these chains one off at a time, that you are willing to literally set us free. You're willing to come in and to teach us how to discern between good and evil, and even not only to teach us, but then to implant within us the actual desire, a new mind, as it were, to love good and to hate evil, and to then cultivate that through getting to know you. You're doing so much, Lord, and we just have to be willing and to participate with you. Help us to make those decisions, Lord. Help us to choose to link up with you on a daily basis through your word, that this not, might just not be a theory but and not in a concept, but it would be a living reality that we would have hatred, but be saved because we hate the sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.